So today I want to share a story, a compelling image of what it is to be a follower of the Prince of Peace, a path that's liberating and life-giving, but not without fear and risk sometimes. This is the story of the French Trappist monks serving in Algeria in the 1990s when jihadists made life scary for everyone. Years ago, I became aware of these monks and their story after watching the movie Of Gods and Men. I so recommend it. Of Gods and Men is a French film made in 2010, and it won the grand prize at the Cannes Film Festival. It's one of those movies that really captures the luminescence of the human soul. Oh, how these men lived. For years, these nine monks served in a Cistercian monastery on the mountain heights above the village of Triberine in Algeria. They had lived lives of contemplation and community, love and discipline, meditation and action. And part of understanding the monks is to appreciate their daily monastic rhythm of ora et labora, of prayer and work. Following the rule of St. Benedict, these priests, they gathered for prayer and chanting seven times a day in their chapel. And their work included chores to maintain the monastery, tending the vegetable garden, making honey to be sold at the village market, and even offering a medical clinic. Christian de Charge, the abbot, he was a scholarly man who had become a trusted agent with the village leaders. He was a dedicated follower of Christ in the spiritual practice of contemplation and well-versed in both the Bible and the Quran. The two communities of the Christian monastery and the Muslim village that was nestled beneath them, they were tied together in friendship and service, both spiritually and practically. In the 1990s, much of Algeria was dominated by indiscriminate and brutal violence from various rival Islamic groups. There was car bombings and school shootings, armed assailants who would cut the throats of farmers, and wedding parties that were just raided with people with axes. All that was common. And oddly, the monastery on the mountain of Triberina seemed to be shielded, seemed to kind of shield those locals from this ever-encroaching violence. The villagers spoke of it as the monastic effect. In stark contrast to other parts of the region, there had been very little theft or violence at the foot of the mountain. And maybe this hedge of protection was from the practical benefits of the medical clinic that was free to everyone. And Dr. Luke, who was, who was one of the monks, he served nearly 150 villagers a day. Maybe it was prayer. Maybe it was mutual respect, but it was real. And as the violence escalated around the country, the monks began to understand that their presence was somehow critically linked to the security of the village. And it's against this background of imminent violence that the monks had to discern if they should stay or if they should return to the safety of their mother church in France. 
And so if you get the chance to watch this movie, you get to peek inside at those intimate scenes of the monks as they wrestled into trying to come to terms with their calling to this particular place and its people. It shows both their individual struggle and the communal ways that they agonizingly sought God for a faithful and wise response to their call. And one of the insightful scenes for me, which highlights the the power of the monks' peaceful coalition and stable presence amongst their Muslim brothers and sisters, was the scene at a... At a local home near the monastery, they're in the family kitchen and they're discussing the recent violence in the town market with a few of the monks there. And at one point, one of the monks admits, we might be leaving. And understanding full well, a villager asks, why are you leaving? To which another monk explains, we are like birds on a branch. We don't know if we will leave. And next a woman speaks and she says, we're the birds. You're the branch. If you go, we lose our footing. And as you may have guessed, the monks chose to stay. And after midnight on March 27th, 1996, seven of the nine monks were kidnapped in their bed and taken at gunpoint by the GIA, the Armed Islamic Group of Algeria. The seven were held for two months by the terrorists, and they were ultimately killed and beheaded. Their bodies were never found, but their heads were left by the side of the road to which they were taken and buried at Cherberini. It's now a well-visited pilgrimage site for both Muslims and Christians, It's a site of fidelity, reminding us how peace can thrive if chosen. For me, these prayerful monks, they fully live out the vision that Jesus tries to impart to his uncomprehending disciples. As you might remember from last week's gospel lesson, the disciples were arguing amongst them as to who is the greatest. And this week, They express a spirit of partisan rivalry and competition against another group. They're all kinds of upset that others are healing in Jesus' names. But as they say, they're not following us. Jesus would have them. He would have us see and act differently. His invitation is broad and wide and includes all kinds of people as worthy of our friendship and service. Like those French monks who served in Algeria, principally among Muslim people. The gift of their lives is not that they were there to convert them to Christianity, but rather to work together to build this coalition of peace and a shared dialogue with folks outside their group. Just their respectful, non-competitive presence ushered in this sort of bubble of felt shalom. So with a child in his arms, Jesus demonstrates his vision of non-warring, peace-filled kingdom as he literally lifts up the least and the lowly among them, urging them to do the same, to allow this kind of inclusive, ungrand, ordinary service 
to be their signature mark. But before they could do that, it's going to require some inner, inner work. What is it inside of us that is so dug in and stubbornly defending the superiority of our own tribe and our own beliefs over others? Jesus offers strong imagery about this that actually bothers our modern sensibilities. Sometimes when I hear this lesson that I just read aloud in church, I worry about Jesus' hyperbolic language of gouging out our own eye or of lopping off our hand that some newcomer is finally going to have ventured to church and they were hoping to hear the comfort of God and yet they get this. But he uses this strident language to stress the importance of doing the inner work of examining our impulses and our motives. When we notice the spirit of war coming out, cut it off. Let it go. It's at the end of this gospel lesson that Jesus finally pulls the string of his teaching these last three Sundays spelling it out for us, saying, be at peace with one another. With clarity, he names peacemaking as the heart and the soul of Christianity. To follow Jesus, we're invited to trust our lives over to a nonviolent movement of generosity, justice, and neighborly love that ushers in God's kingdom. This call to be at peace with ourselves and with one another is the place where true greatness can be found, where the lowly are lifted up and compassion is practiced. There we find that the first can be last, and the last are invited to be first. It's a kingdom, a community of folks who are willing to reach outside the boundaries of their own kind recognizing in the other as a child of God. Being at peace with one another requires real intention. We could learn from the peaceable way of those monks who choose to live not by escaping evil, but by so desiring to be the salt of the world that they spend time in the purifying fire of prayer and of self-examination. Throughout the day, seven times a day, they're turning back to God. They're looking within, ever mindful of God's sustaining presence with them now and always. And we too, with these simple, faithful, daily practices of turning back to God, we can hang on to our purpose and our moral compass because the source of our conversion helps us to choose a spirit of peace with others over a spirit of war. We're all so in this, you know, a work in progress. <laughs> Even as I'm preparing for this sermon, I lash out to someone in a spirit of anger. These angry outbursts, this bristling up, this spirit of war that lives inside us too, we can see it as it comes out, we can apologize, and once again, we can draw in the spirit of peace. And if peacemaking 
is both the goal and the way of following Jesus, then as one theologian puts it, our practice is not with the sword, but with a candle. Standing firm with courage, conviction, generosity, and joy, trusting that the world will change, and God knows it needs to. Thinking of the big problems, the climate crisis, polarization, racism, our efforts might even seem small, even lame. But the good news of the gospel is that the Spirit is at work in hidden and plain ways. And I believe that if we made it our daily life's desire and prayer to be peacemakers, that the tide will change. And the tide change begins inside of each of one of us. There's this ancient quote about peace that helps me glimpse it. It's by Seraphim of Serov, a great Russian saint who says, Acquire the spirit of peace, and a thousand souls around you will be saved. Imagine it. My peace rippling out to others. No doubt it is our Lord's capstone message to be at peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace be with you. There lies the answer and the antidote to so much that ails us. Amen.